0: Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you hit the grades of your dreams at school, college, and university. To the science of fast learning and lasting memory, the psychology of study productivity, and the secrets to great exam technique. And now your host, the Cambridge University trained psychologist who's dedicated his life to helping students study better and outsmart their exams, William Wadsworth.
1: Hello and welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast. While most of our work is focused on exams in high school or in college or university, we do also strive to provide a little inspiration and information for and about all stages of the academic journey. So I decided to put together a little bonus episode which features a cross-section of current PhD students sharing their thoughts on what they wish they'd known before they set out on their doctorate research programme including how they organise their time and how they cope with the ups and downs. I think the wisdom that they share is going to appeal to two different groups of people. So first, our listeners, who may be considering a PhD either soon or in the future, you're going to pick up some practical advice to prepare yourself for applications and how to choose a research programme, as well as giving you a very candid window into what life is really like as a PhD candidate, so you can decide whether or not it really is for you. But most of all, this episode is for PhD candidates themselves, and it was for you guys I really conceived this episode in the first place. Now, I don't have a PhD myself, so it was fascinating for me to listen to the tips that came back from contributors. One theme that really struck me in particular was that how nearly everyone seems to find the going really tough on at least some occasions through their PhD. So if you're working towards a Ph.D. at the moment and going through a bit of a tricky patch, then hopefully some of the practical tips and comforting words you'll hear in this episode are going to be quite helpful. I'm going to dedicate the first couple of tips uh, to some advice if you're in the position of considering doing a Ph.D. in future. The first is an extract from an interview with Dylan Morris. Now, you're going to hear much more from Dylan later in the summer in a full interview. But I've taken a little extract from his interview where he shares his take on the importance of doing some independent research if you're thinking about doing a PhD in future. And you can do that perhaps by writing to a particular academic or laboratory at your university to ask if there are any opportunities to help as a research assistant, either during the year or over the summer.
0: So I'm currently finishing up my PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology at Princeton University in Princeton, New Jersey in the US. There I work on making mathematical models of how the influenza virus evolves to escape our immunity. There are two reasons why I really strongly suggest undergraduates interested in science do independent research. The first is that it is, there is no better ticket to getting into graduate programs than having already shown that you're capable of performing independent research, working well with a supervisor, being part of a lab community. And the letter that will come from your undergraduate advisor will be a very powerful piece of your graduate application. But the other is that if you aren't so sure whether science is for you, undergraduate courses aren't going to give you the best picture of the actual life of a working scientist. They're not going to really tell you so well whether you'd be excited about getting up in the morning and going to work. Whereas working in a lab, it won't be exactly the same as what you'd be doing as a graduate student, as a postdoc, as a professor, but it will give you a much clearer sense of what you'd be doing, not only because you'll yourself be doing research, but also because you'll be interacting on both informal and professional terms with graduate students, postdocs, and faculty members, and you'll see a little more of a window into their lives, and you'll get a better sense of whether this is a life that might make sense for you. These opportunities are everywhere, not just in science.
1: We
2: also heard from Christina. Christina, you're a PhD student in science at the University of Cambridge and Darwin College.
1: And in similar vein to what Dylan was saying, Christina highlights the importance of getting to know your prospective supervisor before you embark on your PhD.
2: Grab any possible opportunity to get in touch with your future supervisor and to get to know him or her personally. If the people working and supervising you are not fun to be around, you are going to have a hard time finding the motivation to do a PhD for three to four years.
1: I'd next like to introduce Kalina, who is a
3: third year for in psychiatry at the University of Oxford.
1: Kalina suggests making the personalities in the lab part of your decision of where to apply to do your PhD.
3: I think any research degree involves a lot of interaction with your supervisors and peers in your research group. And if you can, take that fact into consideration, as well as the project itself. Because if it is a PhD, that is a lot of collaborating with personalities, and you want to make sure you gel well with each other. Also, specifically in the field of psychiatry, it's so multidisciplinary. We have clinicians, physicists, molecular biologists, I think really utilize the potential collaborations you can make. It helps with publications and also learning new techniques.
1: If your university of choice doesn't offer the exact research programme you want, then there is potential to craft your own, as our next guest explains, though this can sometimes come with significant challenges, as we'll hear later.
4: My name is Emma Joy Ray, and I'm a video game scholar at the University of Cambridge. Some people are surprised to hear that Cambridge University has postgraduate programmes in game studies. Well, the truth is, um, actually, they don't. But I knew that I wanted to continue working with my incredible supervisor from my master's degree, which I also did here in Cambridge. And I also knew that I wanted to take a humanistic approach to video games. So it didn't worry me too much that there wasn't a precedent for this kind of research at Cambridge.
1: I asked all of our guests about how to organise and structure your time over a three or more year programme. My friend Allard, who recently completed his PhD in mathematics at Oxford University, and has since gone on to join Cambridge University as a junior research fellow, was able to give his take on organising your time with the benefit of a little hindsight.
5: Undertaking a PhD can be an extremely daunting task for a number of reasons. I mean, for a start, there's the sheer unstructured nature of the time. You'll be spending three to four years, if you go to the States, five years, six years, just doing one thing, just focused on producing a final thesis. And that's your only hard deadline. No deadlines for five years and then having to produce 100,000 words. That's a very unusual way of life. One of the things you can do to mitigate this, and I wish I'd gotten on to this approach rather earlier in my own studies, is that it's up to you to create midterm goals and shorter term goals to break up this process. Your supervisor might be able to help you a little bit. The university structures might be able to help you a little bit. But day to day, it's on you.
1: This process of breaking the task up into smaller goals was something that many of our guests echoed. Let's hear from Andrea, who's going to be the final new voice you meet today.
6: My name is Andrea I'm a 30-year PhD student in chemistry at the University of Cambridge. The best tip for organizing and planning my studies are strict deadlines. You set yourself a certain time frame. You say, right, I have to complete this task, this big task in one month. So by the end of this week, I will complete this part of the task. By the end of the next week, I will complete this other part of, of the task and so on. That helps you keep yourself motivated and really deliver the project.
1: As a scientist, Kalina also likes to plan her workload a week at a time.
3: Making a weekly schedule helps me because I know how to pair up my experiments. Because often with incubation times, you are able to run experiments simultaneously. But from first-hand experience, this may not always end well. If you have your work set up for a week, you'll be able to pair up experiments so that you don't try to do two time-consuming experiments in one day. So instead of a daily checklist, I have a weekly one.
1: A final word on organisation from Allard. I really liked this tip. I think it makes a lot of sense, not only from the perspective of simply getting things done, but also from the perspective of helping you stay positive in the process.
5: It can be incredibly useful to know before you go to bed what the first research-related thing you'll do in the morning is going to be. It might be just making notes on a couple of pages of the book you've been reading through. It might be running a couple of short experiments. It might be reading that paper you've always been to understand. It might be checking which new papers have been published that day. Small, incremental. But it means that you never start your day without knowing what you're going to do. You never start your day lost. Because being stuck is such the uh, presiding emotion of doing a PhD, to at least not be stuck at the start of your day is glorious. And you can use these to build up into what's my goal for the week, what's my goal for the month, and what's my goal for six months. As the time spans get longer and longer, your goals will, of course, have to be increasingly vague because that's the nature of research. You don't know exactly what you're going to find and what's even going to be possible. But it's important to have these goals at all these different time scales to have a chance of maintaining productivity in the day-to-day without losing a sight of the overall goal.
1: But as you're thinking those slightly more long-term thoughts about your goals, be sure to plan in adequate time to rest and recharge.
3: I wish I'd known at the start how important it is for your mental health to set aside time for breaks. Because our projects are continuous and we stay at university throughout the year, I think we have a mindset of there is no time for a break, but breaks, even just a day off, can be the catalyst we need to really keep us going because our projects are marathons and we shouldn't approach them as sprints. So planning breaks when we're planning upcoming experiments or essays has helped me quite a lot.
1: Managing your mental health and the emotional ups and downs of the PhD is a theme that many of our guests wanted to talk about. It seems tough times really are a part and parcel of the PhD process.
5: Everyone experiences highs during their PhD, and they're great. And everyone experiences lows, and they're very difficult. Um, It's just not the case that there are these chosen few who sail through their PhD with problems, and then everyone else... Who's experiencing difficulties, they're imposters and should feel as such. It's not the case. Everyone experiences this roller coaster. And there are two things I would implore listeners to take away from that. One is that it's not abnormal to have lows during the PhD, they will happen. You shouldn't be surprised by this. And this links to the second thing to take away, which is that you need to know before you start that doing a PhD will be exceptionally emotionally challenging, and there's no getting around
1: that. I think few have it as tough as poor Emma did.
4: Although my research proposal was accepted on its own terms, um, once I'd arrived, there was tremendous pressure to shape my project to fit within pre-existing structures. Um The fact that the content of my work was new, and I'm putting that in scare quotes because other universities have been running game studies departments for about 20 years now. Um, The fact that what I was doing seemed new meant that there was additional pressure to present it using tried and tested formula and criteria. Um, And this really became an issue at the end of my first year uh, when you have to produce this uh, 20,000 word registration document outlining your project. Um, which is then assessed through a process, which is called a viva, which is basically like a two hour interview or oral exam. I failed mine (laughs) in spite of the fact that um, 14,000 of my 20,000 words had already been published in two academic journals. It wasn't what my examiners in the education faculty wanted or expected. So I was given three months to rewrite it completely from scratch. And yeah, that was a pretty dark time.
1: Fresh perspectives often reap rewards for originality, but I guess always carry a slight risk when you're challenging established structures. To my mind, it sounds like Emma got pretty unlucky with this one. Just to make sure we don't scare you, I think these kinds of nightmare experiences with those end-of-year registration documents are pretty rare. Here's Andrea again, who was surprised by how straightforward and helpful the process felt for him once he'd been through it.
6: The first-year report at the end of your the first year of your PhD is not that tough. I put a lot of effort into writing the report. I was really scared about the mini viva with the examiner, but really it was a way to help me uh, shape my project better. All the comments, all the feedback that I received from the examiner were really, really helpful into shaping my project. And they were they were there to help me rather than failing me.
1: Hopefully a slightly more representative experience there. But you don't need to have your documents failed to start questioning your sense of self-worth. Here's Alad again. Doing
5: research is so bound up with one's personal sense of self-worth and self-esteem because it is so personal, uh, more than almost any other job I could think of apart from perhaps a professional musician. But when the research is not going so well, and there will be times when it's not going so well, it can have an emotional impact. Just I I speak from some experience that it can be very helpful to have emotional stability in the rest of your life while you're doing a PhD, because the PhD provides enough challenges by itself.
1: A lot of students suffer from imposter syndrome, that sense of feeling you're not really good enough to be doing what you're doing. Here's Kalina with some thoughts on how you can cope.
3: Coping with imposter syndrome is a tricky one. It's so ubiquitous at a tertiary level. What's helped me is surrounding myself with grad friends that are going through similar things and don't just talk about the highs of the default, but the lows as well. Even if you can't get that, joining social media groups like something, like a meme sharing page full of scientists who make memes about everyday struggles of science really reminds you that all these setbacks don't make you a failure, that it happens to everyone. What also helps is joining societies that involves interacting with people from different academic backgrounds, where your research interests are so different, you can't compare it. And very often you're reminded that the work you're doing is quite interesting, and being able to explain that work to someone who isn't in your field is an achievement in itself. And it's really good for reminding you that you are knowledgeable about something and you do deserve to be here.
1: Other people can do wonders to remind us of our worth and value. Christina recommends recording your successes as another way to get that kind of reminder.
2: It is normal to feel you don't deserve being where you are sometimes. Just don't let that feeling overshadow your work and motivation. When that feeling comes up, I try to rationalise things. Recalling what I have achieved so far, the feedback I get from my supervisor and the people working with me. Also, Next time you have achieved something, big or small, write it down. Every time you feel as an imposter, read those notes again. It will help you realising that you truly belong where you are.
1: Andrea looks to those who've been there and done it already for inspiration when the going gets tough.
6: Long periods with with limited results is is what I struggle the most with, with my studies. It can be hard to cope and and really frustrating i i found it beneficial to discuss how i feel with senior members of the group that have been through the phd and are now postdocs sometimes like hearing that they've been through the same phase uh, and and they managed to to go through it because eventually they got some results is really helpful
3: Another thing that helps with productivity personally is going to seminars and talks about anything that interests me, really. I think we research these really niche topics at times. We forget about the bigger picture, what made us passionate about grad school, the pursuit of knowledge and uncovering and discovering new knowledge. It really gives me perspective when I feel like I'm stuck. It also helps to get me out of my head and approach problems from a new angle at times
5: how to get out of these ruts. And in my experience, they end when they end.
1: Well, sage advice there, Aled. So what of Emma, who was probably facing the biggest rut of all with her unconventional approach to video game research, uh, unconventional to her institution anyway? What are her plans to move forward?
4: Recently, I found a quote from a games designer from the from the 70s that goes like this. You can't change a game by winning it or losing it or refereeing it or spectating it. You change a game by leaving it and going somewhere else and starting a new game. If it works, it will in time alter or replace the old game. So, yeah, I think. Um, that pretty much sums up where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm obviously not leaving Cambridge, of course. I worked way too hard to get here and I do love my supervisor and I love the city. Um, but now that I've passed my first year of Iver, I'm doing my project my way and I am forming my own academic community um, around me that's made up of games designers and developers working in the industry, um, lecturers and students at other universities, including Anglia Ruskin University, which is also based in Cambridge, and online um, with gamers through social media. And honestly, the gamers, like they have an expertise <laughs> that is probably more relevant and more useful for my project. So in conclusion, um, I am now playing my own game uh, and I'm still figuring, figuring out exactly what the rules are. And I'm in the process of recruiting other players so if you are interested in studying video games at Cambridge University, do reach out to me on social media. My handle is at Emma Joy Ray.
1: And that's Emma on Twitter at Emma Joy Ray. And the surname is spelt R-E-A-Y. And I've put that in the show notes as well if you do want to get in touch. Which just leaves for me to thank Dylan, Aled, Andrea, Christina, Kalina and Emma for all their helpful insight and for sharing such open and candid perspectives on the lows as well as the highs of doctorate research. My big takeaway from all this is that while a PhD is not an experience to be undertaken lightly, it can be an incredibly formative, rewarding and pivotal way to spend three years of your life. If you're working towards one at the moment or considering doing so in future, then do consider keeping in touch with me on Twitter, at exam study expert, to let me know how it goes. Be lovely to hear from you. And most importantly, my very best wishes for your success with your research and your career.
0: Thanks for listening to the Exam Study Expert podcast. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review for our show in your podcast player.